The talk this evening <clears throat> is about mindfulness. And we'll begin with a few moments as though uh, sitting under the Bodhi tree with Siddhartha Gautama 2,600 years ago or so. So allowing yourself to relax and settle into your seat. Close your eyes. Towards the end of that long and now famous night under the bow tree, and after Mara, the personification of all of the dark and potentially destructive forces in the mind, had let fly the poison arrows of greed and aversion and delusion at Siddhartha Gotama. These arrows that Mara hoped would stick and then distract Siddhartha from the clarity and strength of his great vow and courageous determination to fully awaken, Mara shot the last arrow that was left in the quiver, the arrow of doubt, self-doubt, accompanied by the words, what makes you think you have the right to be sitting here, where and how you are? Just who do you think you are? Anyway, the bodhisattva, the just about to be Buddha, protected within the great strength of his mindful presence, which was enlivened by a keen interest and penetrating sense of investigation, accompanied by clear discernment. This about to be Buddha supported by the tremendous energy of his determination and flow of an effortless effort, imbued with an enlivening and refreshing joy, balanced with the deep power and cool ease of an unwavering and undistracted mind. Siddhartha Gotama sitting under the bow tree that night with unshakable stability with an evenness and balance of receptive presence as though he were an immovable mountain. With all of these qualities, these factors of mind and heart perfectly in place, in response to Mara's challenge, the Bodhisattva in his amazing grace simply reached down and touched the earth with the fingertips of his right hand, letting Mara know that the earth was bearing witness to his right to be sitting where and how he was. And Mara was defeated, never again to have any power over the Buddha.
And so we sit, maybe not always exactly like the Buddha sat on that night 2,600 years ago, but we sit and we practice with sincerity and with determination at home, maybe alone, maybe with your sangha, with your practice community, and now here in retreat. As awakening beings, as we practice, the particular qualities of heart and mind that were all so perfectly in place within Siddhartha that night under the bow tree, as we practice, these capacities of heart and mind continue to develop, deepen, and to mature within ourselves. It's inevitable, actually. It's inevitable that this happens if we keep on practicing. So this evening we'll explore the quality or factor of mind that is really the most fundamental underlying factor of our practice. Mindfulness. Whether your practicing, whether your practice right now is rooted in insight, vipassana practice, or metta practice, or samatha concentration practice, and as we explore together this evening, allow the words to be a touch point or. We could call it a pointing out towards directly connecting with mindfulness within yourself, which is facilitated by what I like to call listening from the heart rather than listening from the head. And in support of this, it's helpful to really deeply relax in and through the body. So let's just take a moment or two right now to drop into the body. Drop into the body with a bright, easy attention. Relaxing from head to toe. Letting the whole body, heart and mind deeply relax into simple, direct, presence. And with an open heart, open mind, just simply hearing, receiving sound. So, mindfulness. The Buddha spoke about mindfulness as being like a precious gem and that it's supported by seclusion, impartiality, 
and renunciation. So the very various, very conditions actually, uh, at least to some degree, that we have here in retreat. A pervasive and deep mindfulness along with a calm, concentrated mind are key, are really key factors for the mind, the heart to ripen into the letting go that's necessary for awakening. I often think of mindfulness as the mother, the great mother of all the factors of mind necessary for awakening. In fact, really the great mother of the whole of our practice. In a sense, it's the factor of mind that gives birth to all of the other factors that are necessary for liberation. The Buddha spoke about mindfulness as the chief. So maybe a kind of male-female way of speaking about it. We could say mindfulness is the chief mother. (laughs) And when it really begins to be established in us, it's the ingredient that offers us our greatest protection. The Pali word for mindfulness is sati. And sometimes it's translated as memory or to remember. So breaking this word down to remember, to reconnect, if you will. To connect or reconnect to the present moment's experiences of body and mind. And I think for many of us, at least at times, we forget to be mindful because of our strong, habituated conditioning to not remember, to not directly, freshly, purely connect to the present moment's experience, but rather to remain resting in the inertia of our habits. Once, uh, quite some time ago, in a Dharma discussion with friends, someone asked the question, what, what makes mindfulness a spiritual practice? I think it's a, a very good question. It was good then, and maybe even now, uh, even a better question at this point, uh, because mindfulness has become a very common word. Uh, there's this whole mindfulness movement going on when this question was first asked in the group that I was having this discussion with, there was no, quote, mindfulness movement, unquote. And although the mindfulness movement is very valuable, in some way, some of its depth, some of the depth of mindfulness, some of the potency of mindfulness uh, has been dissipated in certain circumstances. So what is it that makes mindfulness a spiritual practice? The great 
intimacy of mindfulness. This moment's experience is just this. Absolutely believing our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, mind, and heart. Absolutely believing our body and mind. Meaning in this case, absolutely believing what comes to be known through cultivating a powerful, direct, immediate, mindful awareness. Being receptive to what is without the forethought of concepts, past experience, or ideas of how we think it is, or should be, or could be. As the great Indian teacher Krishnamurti said, beginning as though you don't know anything about it, and moving from innocence to innocence. This relationship to experience is sometimes called the don't know mind. With this great intimacy of mindful presence, opening us to understanding the way it really is, which may appear so clear and so simple that we can hardly believe it. The Buddha's mindfulness asks us to not remain resting in the inertia of our old habits, but really to meet the experience of the moment with a fresh, connected intimacy, to come and see how it is. Mindfulness doesn't kind of float or kind of skim along the surface of things. It connects, going right into the object. And yet, at the same time, it's not a stick, sticky or fixed connection. Mindful attention is a clear, fluid connection that lights on an object just long enough and just deep enough to know it. The magic and the great beauty of mindfulness is that it takes us out of illusion. It takes us out of delusion, directly into reality. Without it, we're bound. We're imprisoned in the assumed appearance of things. And we get caught again and again in reactivity and attachment to these not clearly seen appearances. The result being that we unnecessarily suffer in this believed unreality. The Venerable Analayo puts it this way in his book, Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. And these are his words. The element of non-reactive watchful receptivity in sati, 
forms the foundation for satipatthana as an ingenious middle path which neither suppresses the contents of experience nor compulsively reacts to them. One of the central tasks of sati is the de-automization of habitual reactions and perceptual evaluations. Sati thereby leads to a progressive restructuring of perceptual appraisal and culminates in an undistorted vision of reality as it is. This technique of simple recognition constitutes an ingenious way of turning obstacles to meditation into meditation objects. Practicing in this way bare awareness of a hindrance becomes a middle path between suppression and indulgence. Important aspects of sati are bare and equanimous receptivity combined with a broad and open state of mind. As a mental quality, sati represents the deliberate cultivation and a qualitative improvement of the receptive awareness that characterizes the initial stages of the perception process. No matter who we are or where we live, all of us, every one of us, want to live with ease. All of us want happiness. And it seems that most of us hope and maybe even assume that much of our life experience at any given time is permanently in place. And of course, from myriad perspectives, we want life to suit our passing fancies, our expectations, our, and our deepest desires. And as it is in relationship to this, Most people spend most of their time and energy trying to accomplish all of this through external experiences by getting this or that or him or her doing this and that, going here and there. And we go for, we try for sustaining satisfaction and contentment through the constantly changing world of our senses and our thoughts as well as through the myriad constantly changing relationships that go on throughout our whole life. As many of you know, at least at times, none of this really works in, in the way of what we want for sustaining happiness. The Buddha actually spoke about happiness that's beyond our ordinary experience of pleasure. He said that happiness arises when we're mindful. 
happiness arises when we're mindful. And so we take the Buddhist words to heart and we look closely in order to sense, to see, and know our experience directly. It's through our meditation practice that mindfulness is cultivated. Mindfulness happens, we could say, when we really truly bring our attention to the present moment. And we practice this over and over and over again, moment by moment by moment. Once we relinquish the belief that there's a more spiritually perfect, right, or useful moment than the moment that we're in, we really, truly, and wholly embrace our life and infuse it with the energy for awakening. Mindfulness is the active aspect of awareness. Mindfulness is a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment's experience. And I like to repeat this because it's not our usual way of relating to the moments of our life. Mindfulness is a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment's experience. And at its best, purely receptive in its relationship to whatever's presenting itself in the present moment. And of course we pay attention to a whole range of experience including things that we usually do quite mechanically. Breathing, walking, moving the body, seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, thinking. We pay attention to phenomena that's pleasant, that might be wonderful and easy to be with. And we also give attention to experience that is unpleasant, that might be difficult to be with. We open to it all. No parts left out. The very stuff of our lives is our path to liberation. Mindfulness is about living in the action. Living in the action of the body, heart, and mind. Living in the present moment's experience. In a sense, we forget ourself, we lose ourself, in a sense, in what is. So there's just what is. Without anything added or needing to be added. And without taking away anything or needing to take anything away. With mindful awareness we have the possibility of not thinking, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. The moment that we think, I'm doing this, we're creating or recreating a sense of a separate self. Creating a separation, a disconnection, 
from the re- reality of the way things are and living in an idea, the idea of I, the idea of me, the idea of mine, instead of living in the action. Our practice is one of deep intimacy, really the deepest intimacy with our own experiences, which as practice develops, expands and matures, becomes an intimacy, a kind of profound intimacy with all beings, all things. The direction of mindfulness is to be aware, intimately aware of it, whatever it is in the moment. See and know what is, what really truly is. How is it in this present moment, and this present moment, and this present moment? This is a basic foundation of all forms of Buddhist practice. How is it in experiencing the eye, ear, nose, tongue, touch? How is it in experiencing the mind? How is it really? Not what you hope it is, or want it to be, or imagine it to be, or don't want it to be. A mindful relationship to our present moment's experience is what allows clarity and true understanding to arise, to just simply and naturally arise, which it inevitably does. We don't have to do anything to make this happen. The truth is actually not very far away at all. It's right here. It's ever-present, immediately close, always and everywhere, right here, right now, and it's our greatest protection. Some years ago I was teaching a class in Taos um, about mindfulness. And at the beginning of each, it was probably over four weeks, I don't quite remember now, but it was a number of weeks that went on. Once a week we'd meet. And we'd begin our class um, sharing uh, something from our experience during the week uh, that had to do with uh, mindfulness in the particular way that we had been exploring it the previous week. So a student came in one week, one evening, and said, That morning, she'd been watering her garden. She'd watered her garden many, many times. But she said that morning it felt like it was the first time she'd watered her garden because she was being very present, very mindful with it. She wasn't on automatic. And then she uh, went on, and and her mind took quite a, a big leap, so to say, and she said, How have we survived so long without being mindful? And she went on to say, terrible things are decided and done 
when mindfulness isn't present. She had quite a striking insight that morning because of simply paying attention to watering her garden. The Buddha Dhamma is about transforming the mind, transforming the heart. In fact, if we're not bringing our full attention to the present moment, if we're not mindful, we're living at a distance from experience, living at a distance from life itself, which just keeps the circle, the reactive cycle of conditioned habit patterns going round and round and round. Another way of looking at this is that without mindfulness, we're it's as though we're living life through binoculars that are out of focus. Our perspective, our perception is blur is blurred. We experience life through the filters of ideas, the filters of preconceptions, opinions, judgments, hopes, fears, or similar past experiences. So, for instance, an experience that probably each of you has had at times, you meet someone new, brand new, and you don't see them as they actually are. You see them in relationship to your thoughts about them, how much you think you like them. Now, you don't know them, you've never met them before. So how much you think you like them, or how much you think you're attracted to them, or how much you think you don't like them, or how much you think you're not attracted to them. Or maybe maybe they remind you of somebody else. So you're seeing this new person in relationship to the similar qualities of this other person that you're thinking about. Or maybe you see this new person in relationship to how you hope they are, or what you want from them, or maybe what you hope you can get from them, or hope you won't get from them. With all of this, you're not experiencing this person that you've just met for the first time just simply as they are. Have you ever gotten to know someone and found out that, in fact, they weren't at all like your imagined ideas about them? Without mindfulness, everything we perceive is like this. Everything we see, taste, hear, touch, smell, think, is immediately interpreted back to us in conformity with our habitual thoughts and habit patterns. Meditation practice grounded in mindful awareness is about bringing everything into a clear, sharp focus, to see things as they truly are, as though for the first time, without judgment, with a mind that's fresh, with what's called beginner's mind. A short uh, story about uh, one of my grandsons, some of you have heard this before, Uh, when he was two and a half years old, 
um, and living in Pennsylvania, I went to visit him and his mom and dad. And uh, his mother and I were walking, <clears throat> taking a walk out back behind their house. <clears throat> and this little two and a half year old boy picked up a pine cone. And it was the first time he had ever uh, seen a pine cone. So he picked it up and he carefully looked at it, turned it over all the way around, back and forth, stuck it up to his nose, smelled it all over every which way, stuck his tongue out and licked it, tasted it all over the place, really investigating this new thing that he'd never experienced before. And then his mom and I, a dutiful mother and a dutiful grandmother said, this is a pine cone. (laughs) And he looked at us kind of quizzically, but he was a good boy, so he repeated the word, pine cone, pine cone, yeah. But then he went back to his direct experience of pine cone with this fresh, open, beginner's mind. This is an attitude of mind that we can learn, or maybe more accurately, relearn, and bring into our life as a whole. And it's transformative. Transformative and potentially deeply healing. There are four domains of mindfulness, four ways of setting up and establishing mindfulness in the here and now. So this evening we'll explore the first of these domains, which is paying attention to the body in the body. Just the body as such. Not one's ideas about it or interpretations of it. And of course, there are many and varied and specific aspects of the body to notice and to give a careful attention to. And as you all know, one of our primary orientations to the body is mindfulness of breathing. The development of the mind and the understanding that's accessible, accessible, did I say that right? Accessible? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Via mindfulness of breath is really potentially profound. In making the simple sensations of the in and out breath at the nostrils, or the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly or at the heart center, or the sensorial experience of the breath coming into and moving through and back out of the whole body, I've been deeply grateful and even awed at the depth and the breadth of the purification of the heart, purification of the mind that happens, as well as for what comes to be seen, sensed, and understood with a very simple and careful attention to the direct experience of breath. So now just for a moment, close your eyes and let the attention drop into the breath.
mindfully absorb into the simple sensations of in-breath and out-breath in the nostril area or the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly or in the chest area or the whole body breathing. Attention dropping into the breath and mindfully absorbing into the simple sensations of breath with as little self as possible. And now just very simply notice, are you trying to control, trying to manipulate the breath? Or are you simply allowing the breath to breathe itself? very important to notice this without any judgment, noticing it without any self-recrimination. In a moment of clear seeing, there's often uh, quite a sense of relief. As a friend of mine says, seeing is relieving. We might at times particularly notice each breath, each inhalation and each exhalation directly as sensation or as movement or maybe as vibration in the area of the body where we connect with the breath. Noticing it maybe right when it begins and staying with it all the way through to the end. And maybe actually noticing the ending, the cessation of an exhalation and the beginning of the next inhalation. Or we might just very simply notice the movement of the in and out breathing at the nostrils or in the belly or through the body. Just very simply just this which helps to cultivate an increasingly quiet, tranquil and peaceful breath and an overall body-mind calm that's a very fine support towards developing a more refined mindful attention. So the body in the body, mindfulness of the four postures, not our ordinary, everyday, quite casual way of noticing our bodily activity, but a closer, more intimate and ongoing and careful attention to the body in every position, standing, sitting, lying down, walking, 
and the various movements of the body in getting up and down, flexing and extending the arms, legs, turning, lifting, carrying, even bringing attention, mindfulness of the body to the body in the experiences of falling asleep and waking. waking. <clears throat> Who's moving? Who's lying down? Is there a someone, a me, an I, behind this walking, this standing, this sitting, this movement? Beginning to see the postures and the movement of the body just as it is in itself. Can standing be known as just simply standing? Sitting is just simply sitting. Walking is just simply walking without the layer of I am or the internal feeling of this is me walking, this is me sitting, etc. Once many years ago, the Venerable Sada Upandita, one of my teachers from Burma, in a practice interview with him, he asked me, is there a woman or a man or a person when you're mindful of and noting walking, standing, sitting, or any bodily sensations? Well, for just a moment I was kind of caught by the question which in retrospect I decided was a kind of test of my practice at the time. But very quickly during that practice interview, there was a spontaneous reflection and a response to Saito Pandita. And the response was, no, there's no woman, no man, or no anybody known when I'm really directly connected with and connected with and mindful of walking or whatever bodily phenomena is happening. So a good observation and question you might ask yourself at some point. And maybe through the great intimacy of mindful awareness of the body and the body, we also begin to notice the ongoing flow of conditions that every single moment of experience arises out of. So for instance, the intention to, followed by action or inaction. In the intimacy of Mindfulness, we might begin to notice where the energy of intention, where the energy of volition begins, where it starts from and how it feels in our body. I don't in some independent, mysteriously isolated way stand up or not stand up or sit or lift an arm or take a step or speak a particular word or words. If we think and feel that our actions come solely from the place of a separate, isolated I and me, 
will eventually, or maybe quite quickly, experience some degree of suffering. Our actions of body, mind, and speech are always a response or a reaction in relationship to something that occurred in our immediate field of experience or possibly that occurred in past experience. As mindful awareness of the body in the body blossoms, there's a very natural, non-conceptual, intuitive knowing, growing understanding of the subtler causes of suffering that begins to take hold, which then, in fact, opens our heart to an imaginable expanse of compassion in relationship to all beings. How identified are you? How strong is the clinging to this constantly changing and totally interrelated phenomena we call our body? Roy, who was uh, a student of mine a number of years ago, was a very deeply dedicated practitioner right up into his dying moment. And he was dying of AIDS. And sitting with him in the hospital one afternoon as he was lying in bed, and there was not much left of his body at that point, he stretched up his arm And he slowly turned it and looking at it very carefully with a tremendous interest. And then he said in a very cool and yet odd way, Wow! (laughs) The form, the posture, and the movements of the body are totally dependent or interdependent on conditions. They arise dependent on conditions, just as, for instance, does the arising of anger, or the sensation of coolness on the skin, or the liking or the disliking of some experience, or Roy's body being as thin and as light as a reed. Everything happens because of a whole set of conditions coming together moment by moment by moment. Choices are made, but in truth they too are always a product of the play of various conditions. Can we give such a clear, unfettered and intimate attention to the body itself, its movements, and the process of intention that we begin to directly experience this truth. The next domain of mindfulness of the body that the Buddha points us towards is giving attention to the parts of the body. And as is classically taught, there are 32 parts in those days. That's how they figured it out, 32 parts of the body in the Buddhist texts. 
hair, skin, muscles, bone, and all of the various internal organs and fluids. And in your practice here in retreat, you most likely notice them as they make themselves known, such as the intestine, the bladder, heart, lungs, maybe the liver, mucus, saliva, etc. The classical 32 parts of the body practice is one that actually isn't uh, very often taught here in the West, though it can be quite a powerful practice in beginning to dissolve one's ideas and identification with this body as being a solid entity and it being mine, being me. And I have no doubt that you have noticed many parts of your body even during these first few days of retreat. But how often have you noticed them in a mindful way? How identified are you with the hair on your head or the lack thereof? Or the hair on your body? How do you attend to the experiences of your intestine and the digestive process therein? Or to a moment or many moments of the experience of the heart? How do you experience your skin, this bag of flesh that holds all of the various contents of the body? How often do you know do you experience your nails, teeth? saliva, sweat, mucus, or any part of your body or bodily experience with what I like to call the extraordinary qualities of mindful awareness. A non-judgmental, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting, non-self-identified kind of attention. Just the body in the body. Without the layers of ideas and interpretations and concerns about it. Just the body as a body. This can be quite a powerful practice in beginning to dissolve one's conceptual ideas of solidity and identification with one's own body and other bodies. And some words from the Buddha. Abiding, contemplating the body as a body, internally, externally, he or she abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how a yogi abides, contemplating the body as a body. So just for a moment consider, how do you identify yourself? For most of us, if not all of us, a primary and large part of our personal identification is related to our body. We identify ourselves in good part through rupa, the Pali word that translates as material form or materiality. So considering this for a moment in relationship to yourself. 
I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm thin or fat or not too thin or not too fat. I'm tall or short or of average height. I'm good-looking, beautiful, ugly, plain, attractive, unattractive. I have dark skin or light skin or good skin or bad skin. My nose is large or too big or small or cute. I'm wrinkled and old and weak, weak, or I'm young and strong and smooth-skinned. And on and on it goes. With all of these personal identities constantly changing over the years, or just within days, or within just moments in our mind, even though we engage tremendous effort, energy, and time in clinging to these various identities. There's really no place to hang our identity at for more than a few moments, if that. No place to rest in these constantly changing relative perceptions and ideas of who we think we are. Another important and potentially insightful aspect of mindfulness that can be established in the body is related to the fact that our bodies are essentially no different than any other form, no different than any other rupa. Our human form is of the same elements as any and every other form. Nothing more, nothing less. So potentially a non-ordinary way to cut through the concept of this body as a solid, static entity and to cut through the I am identification. The Buddha offered a profound teaching and a very specific practice in conjunction with this teaching. And if we sincerely and seriously take it up, it can be a window. A window opening us to the direct experience, discernment, and understanding of one aspect of ultimate reality. The ultimate reality of rupa, form. One aspect of the reality of how it really is. How or what this body, as well as every other form, really is. The teaching and practice is about directly discerning the four great essentials or the four great elements, earth, water, fire, and air, or wind. Through directly experiencing the specific characteristics of each of these elements in the body in relationship to sensations. When you're sitting or standing or lying down, when the body's moving, and also within the the (coughs) discernment of the breath itself. (coughs) So this evening I'm just going to mention the characteristics 
of each of these four great elements. And tomorrow evening we'll explore the practice itself. So the earth element, the characteristics, the sensorial characteristics of the earth element are hardness, roughness, heaviness, softness, smoothness, lightness. The characteristics of the water element, flowing, cohesion. Characteristics of the fire element, heat or warmth, cold and coolness. And the characteristics of the air or the wind element, supporting, pushing. And as I said, we'll explore these more deeply tomorrow evening. How intimately, how mindfully connected are you to these most basic and universal experiences? This body and its elemental nature. Essentially no different than any other form. The last instruction from the Buddha in relationship to this first establishment of mindfulness is the contemplation of the stages of decay in a corpse. Seemingly uh, not something that we have much opportunity to do in uh, a retreat setting. But in fact, uh, the truth of the matter is that there are many, many corpses around to observe in a place like this. Insects, maybe birds or other creatures, and very certainly, definitely, the corpses of plants and trees and flowers. All forms of life are mortal. All forms, all rupas are mortal. They have the nature to die and decompose or just to deconstruct and decompose. Consequently, it's possible to observe them directly, observe this whole process directly. I've been in retreat in various places over the years and at times quite purposefully observed the dying process of flowers and grasses and continued over time to observe them go through all of the changes that things do as and after they die. And once when I was in a retreat with a few friends on Cape Cod in Massachusetts where we rented a house on the shore of the ocean for a couple of months of practice together, I had the great good fortune, uh, maybe good fortune only in the world of Dhamma practice, I had the great good fortune to come upon a dead seal on the beach. And every day for a month I walked down to that body and I sat with it for a little while every day, observing and letting in the process of decomposition and decay, which in this particular instance was happening uh, quite quickly because uh, it was being helped along by the many seagulls who found the seal's decaying flesh to really be very delicious food. This daily practice during that month-long retreat was quite a heart-mind changing experience for me on many levels. Ajahn Sumedho, who 
until a few years ago was the abbot of the Amaravati Monastery in England and who's the senior Western monk in the Thai forest tradition of Ajahn Chah tells about a time when he was <clears throat> living in the monastery in Thailand and he asked that he be able to spend part of a day practicing in the city morgue. Well, the uh, authorities uh, were not too excited about letting him in, but because he was a monk, uh, they uh, allowed him to go in, although they were quite reluctant. And he said that all of his sense doors, which included his conditioned mind, were fully challenges, challenged. And actually, I think the term he used were fully assaulted. He said that the first thing that hit him was the smell. He said it almost drove him to run out the door. But he just stayed very mindfully present. And little by little, it became tolerable. Just a smell. Just a scent. He spoke about his long standing and... Excuse me. He spoke about his long-standing and deeply embedded assumptions regarding the package of the human form being completely undone in his mind and heart as he took in the various stages of decay that were all around him in the morgue. And he mentioned that at one point he looked up on the ceiling and saw all sorts of parts, as he put it, stuck to the ceiling, which he found quite puzzling at first. And then he quickly realized that the bloated body that was right in front of him could explode at any minute, which he dearly hoped it would not. (laughs) It didn't, actually. (laughs) He said that when he went back outside onto the street after that, partial day practicing in the morgue, that he saw people in a radically new way, with a radically wide open heart. It isn't about being morbid or strange in some way. All forms, all rupas, living and non-living, are mortal. And we're so attached to forms probably first and foremost, our own form, and also all sorts of other forms. And for many of us, our attachment is so strong that most of the time we live with an almost constant and often unrecognized desire for an attachment to, for instance, forms that please us, or forms that are beautiful to us or forms that are amusing or interesting to us, or just the simply taken-for-granted, familiar forms. I think that what is actually strange and amazing is that fairly often we think and act as if we and they won't change, won't die, which if we begin to see this habitual way of thinking and acting closely, we find that it produces an almost constant state of subtle or not-so-subtle tension and stress in our heart, mind, and body. The Buddha's instruction to attend to corpses 
of whatever form can be helpful towards cutting through this state of tension and stress, cutting through clinging, cutting through suffering. How do you know the body? How are you established in this first domain, this first foundation of mindfulness? Mindfulness practice trains us to drop into the body again and again. And what we find when we connect and look carefully in the body are sensations. Much of the drama of our thought, feelings, and action begins with sensations. Through mindfulness we train ourselves to be in the body, to receive them. To be present with the sensations of our body is not an act of will. It's an act of unconditional acceptance, one aspect of metta, with grace and at least some degree of equanimity. This acceptance implies not fighting or resisting what's presenting itself, not relating to it with the attitude of wanting it to be different and not concealing or hiding from the moment's experience in the body. In such moments, we feel and intuitively know our activity as belonging to life. So some very simple ordinary examples that relate to our life here in retreat and, of course, also outside of a formal retreat setting. We might wash our dishes as an act of generosity and love. So in that sense, as a holy act. We open the door, clearly sensing and knowing what the wrist, hand, and fingers are doing. Maybe we feel our body contract, turning away from cold or very hot weather. And we catch ourselves and consciously with mindful awareness rise up to meet it. The choice to be mindfully aware is often an act of courage. The essential practice is to return to whatever is presenting itself in our experience from moment to moment. To feel and know the actual physical sensations of our aliveness. In relationship to the various movement practices some of you might be doing during this retreat, maybe some stretching, maybe some yoga. With walking practice and with ordinary everyday movements, Movement invites attention. It asks us, asks us to practice a kind of devotion to ourselves. Not in a self-centered way, but as an act of respect and loyalty. Instead of abandoning ourselves, we can learn to inhabit this body in a wholesome and wise way. Someone once said, and it may have been the famous dancer and 
choreographer Martha Graham. The body is tremendously homesick for us. It waits patiently for our return. And though we may have ignored its invitations for many years, when we do say yes, it's immediately available, full of life and know-how. And all of a sudden we find that we need no training to really be fully alive, that we only lack the determination to feel our aliveness. The body is an excellent meditation subject. It will always tell the truth. If you break a leg, for instance, the body's not going to give off a pleasant feeling. It doesn't have the capability to get lost in the past or the capability to project into the future. And it's the meditation object that most easily bridges the gap between formal and informal aspects of our meditation practice. Also, mindful presence in the body can often be quite a safe haven when thoughts or emotions are raging and maybe feeling too overpowering to be with. And I think that we all experience, at least to some degree, that we're living in a time when the very rapid development of technology and the pace of our culture are making it more and more difficult to stay connected to our bodies, consequently cultivating the intention to practice with this first domain of mindfulness becomes more and more important. Mindfulness practice is like a treasure hunt Within the framework of our practice, we each find the way. And because each of us has experienced specific conditioning along the way of our lives, many aspects of the path and its fruits uniquely emerge in relationship to this conditioning for each of us. The treasures, the fruits that we discover along the way are healing, beautiful, and the simple universal truths of the way of things. This is what sets us free. And some words from the Buddha to close the talk this evening. There is one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It is mindfulness centered on the body. And let's sit quietly for just a moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.